Welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Rising Podcast. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, and today I have Jen Porteous on the show with me. And Jen is a faith-based femininity mentor and polarity coach. She specializes in the restoration of the feminine and relational communication between men and women. Helping women to gain deeper understanding and fully embody their femininity as women of the kingdom. Restoring daughterhood where they are no longer disrupting their wealth, health, relationships and families in the process. And to spiritually and energetically shift from that hustle anxiety filled culture to naturally softer feminine truth and authenticity. Stewarding their own unique design and purpose as designed by God. And this is such a beautiful episode where we dive into what it means to be a feminine woman and how to be in relationship with the masculine. And there's loads of little nuggets of wisdom. So I can't wait to dive into this episode with Jen with you. And if you feel called to support the podcast, please check out the links in the show notes. I have been on a health mission this past almost year here. It's coming up to the anniversary of a breakdown. And so I've been on a really big health mission, as many of you know, that have been with me for a while. And so two products that have been game changers for me have been castor oil packs and tallow. And so in the show notes, you'll find the queen of the thrones castor oil packs. I highly, highly, highly recommend them and as well fat skin um, tallow products which I also highly highly recommend um, they are skin products but our skin absorbs everything and tallow is so important or animal fats are so important for our mental health and I am super passionate about mental health and speaking out about it so yeah, definitely check out the links in the show notes. And now let's dive in with Jen. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Jen. I'm excited to see where this conversation weaves and flows. So to start, what has been the journey that has brought you to the work that you're offering the world today? Mm, it's a multifaceted journey, if I'm being honest. Um the truth is there was a, a point in my life around my mid thirties where after a very long corporate career, I was burnt out, tired, uh, failed relationship, failed marriage, um, one that included children and no amount of work quote unquote, uh, was fixing the problem. And I have two sons. And I very much played into, I don't need a man. Mm. If I want one, I can have one. A lot of those narratives that we see floating around, I was very much like hustling and boss babing and all of those things. And it occurred to me that I was sending a really bad message to my children because those boys were gonna grow up to be men. And what was I really saying about their value in society and towards a woman, if their mom is saying, I don't need a man, you know, I can take them or leave them or they're useless or whatever narratives that we have around men. 
And I knew then that something really had to change. So I went on quite the personal journey and became super passionate about it. And it changed everything about my life. It changed my relationship with myself, my relationship with God, my relationship with men, money, and my children, and my friendships with women as well. I love that. Um, just that reflection or mirror is like two sons are kind of staring up at you, you know, soaking in all this information and that realization, like I'm, I'm projecting these negative views of men onto my boys that are going to grow up to be men. And that it's like almost this dialogue that it's wrong to be men. You know, there's been that narrative for so long for you. Where does that stem from that, that, that men are wrong? You know, if I'm being honest, it was probably compounding over the way I was overhearing my elderly woman when I was growing up. So I'm 41 years old and I remember in childhood, the older women in the community, my mother and some of her friends, they would go to this local uh, general store. We lived in a very small town um, in the Canadian prairies. And a lot of it was you know, them talking really negatively about men and husbands and their lives and how exhausted and tired they were and useless they were. And you had to treat them like children because they were children. And I also had two younger brothers, you know, so that was always interesting to layer in that. And my parents got divorced when I was 11. And there was a lot of things that happened in those formative years that really shouldn't have happened to a teenage girl that really broke my relationship with the masculine and God entirely. And it kind of layered in from the consensus from there, because that's when social media started to ramp up a little bit more. The internet started to go a little bit more and you get older uh, and you hear women talk about, I don't need a man. I can do it all by myself. And there was a very pivotal moment in my life where I chose, and I remember it distinctly in my very early 20s, that um, I thought there was more to life than just getting married and having white picket fences and having a boatload of babies and doing everything that everyone else was doing. And I was going to have a big corporate career and do it my way. And that was what, and I, it was a very distinct choice. And then I packed my bags and went overseas and didn't come home for a while but when I collectively think about all the sources that it came from it would have been older women in my immediate field that I had no control over and then as you get older your friends and then social media and things you start to read yeah it was our it was our society I don't want to call it a culture but it was society absolutely that compounded that yeah I heard from a friend not that long ago. She was like, we grew up in hookup culture and we did. We did. We really did. did. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, I think it created a disconnect between men and women on so many levels where it was almost like this game or this competition, like there wasn't this co-creative energy 
between men and women. In my experience, you know, it was, there wasn't a heartfelt connection. It was more this hookup culture that um, infiltrated into a lot of toxic dynamics. I wholeheartedly agree with you. It was such an inner conflict for me because um, my father is the youngest of six children and my grandparents have a homestead out in the Canadian prairies. And my grandmother on that side was the epitome of devotional to her husband. They stayed married. Um, my grandfather had a stroke and she took care of him. Um, I remember her having to help him get in and out of bed and get dressed and use the, the bathroom and things like that. And she taught me how to garden and, you know, bake and do all of those womanly things, polished silver, you know, <laughs> and then you go down one generation into our mother's sort of time where that feminist movement really, really, really kind of seemed to present itself in that hard pendulum swing where it went really far it wasn't just about us having voting rights anymore, having bank accounts. It was just completely breaking down marriages. And the respect for men went out the window entirely. And I remember it. So my grandmother's generation, I remember seeing it really beautifully played out. And then in my mother's generation was like where the it really started to break. Mm. And as a teenage girl, all of a sudden, you know, boys like you and you got hormones and the nuclear family has broken down. So the fathers aren't around to teach the daughters, you know, of their value and to protect them that way. And um, I remember, I remember feeling this unsafety when my dad wasn't around, it was just different. There was no dad for the boys to answer to anymore. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's something that lands in our hearts as women. I believe that when our dads are around and a man has to actually go through our dad to get to us. Yeah. Different. It's a different place to be and hookup culture. If your dad is around, he's like, you know, he's a little more stern about those things. At least my dad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. I remember my dad telling me not to date till I was 35. And I don't think that advice was all that wrong. <laughs> 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 Yeah. 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 No, I, um, we're in the Canadian prairies. I just have to ask cause we're in the Canadian prairies. Yeah. I grew up in Manitoba. Oh, okay. Okay. I was thinking, cause I was in Alberta originally. So oh, I was like, Oh, yeah. you know, okay. yeah, I know. <laughs> I know the prairies. Yeah. Beautiful. I, it is really interesting to reflect on how that, you know, your grandmother and then your mother and then now, and how for some reason, cooking and taking care of the family started to get portrayed as a negative yeah. thing. And so, you know, instead of desiring that as a woman, myself included, I as well was like, I'm going to be a boss babe. I'm going to like be this. I was an interior designer for a long time, like big interior designer, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I don't need a man because I don't want to be at home cooking food or, you know, kind of under somebody else's um, leadership, really. I want it to be in control of my own life. And so it's interesting how that shifted so much. And now we're seeing a swing back 
the other yeah. way, which is great. It's great, but it's like we're, we're I think we're trying to find our balance as humans or come back to uh, co-creation and relationship in a beautiful way between men and women, as opposed to what we, we kind of grew up with. So for you, what was that starting point to healing the relationship with men? In regards to the journey itself, the steps that I took or, um, sort of like what actually happened where I was like, that's it. (laughs) Both either's good. (laughs) Was there a moment where you're like, that's it. This has got to change. Yes. There really was. Um, I ended up in a abusive relationship and it was full of gaslighting and toxicity and cheating, not on my end, but on his end. Um, and it was right after um, my my children and I's father split. He was the first relationship I was in after that. And the, I mean, it's amusing now, but it wasn't then is that anyone who actually knew me when they found out after was shocked because I was so fiercely independent. And I was that sort of like, you know, colder, harder edged type of girl who was like, yeah, there's no man who can lay a hand on me. Like, are you kidding me? I'd, you know, rock him into next week. And that was my, like my attitude for a very long time. And I'm very mindful of that word attitude because it was an attitude. It wasn't an embodiment. And I ended up in this relationship and it was so destructive to everything that even was an embodied confidence, like everything that was there originally, it was so destructive to that that when I finally left, um, I sat down and I said, never again, never again, whatever it is that I'm missing, whatever it is that I'm not doing, whatever it is that I've had my blinders on, or I've been ignoring or blaming someone else for, I'm done with it. And I remember sitting in the bottom of my bathtub, crying my eyes out. And I prayed for the very first time in a long time. And I said, God, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I'm done with this. And whatever I need to do to call in the masculine in my life that I actually need, that you actually have for me, that you actually want for me, that I'm meant to have, I will do whatever it takes. I don't care what I lose. I don't care what I have to sacrifice. I don't care what I have to give. I will do it all but I'm, I'm done. And then after that, it was, um, I guess that was five years ago now, four years ago now. Yeah. And I never, I never looked back after never. It's like that declaration or almost like stamping it in the earth. Like, God, this is my decision. Like, this is how I'm moving forward. And in some instances, it's like that web starts to be woven where doors open or different people come into your life where you can start to make that shift happen. But I think what goes unmissed for some people is they don't declare it like this is what I want, like I'm ready for this change. What was that first 
What was the kind of the first step to healing the relationship with men? My relationship with God. Yeah. Um, I had been in, I mean, I'm pretty sure you have as well, like the femininity, masculinity, energetic, because I played in the new age quite a bit. Uh, so masculine and feminine dynamics were not new to me. What was new to me is how intertwined it was with my relationship with God. And I had edged him out of everything. The new age gave me this false sense of power and control over my life that had me in this endless loop of fixing and thinking it's always someone else and that's their trauma and that's a, you know that's their wounding that's their shadow and okay well i'm just going to go to the tarot deck and see what it has to say mm-hmm. oh you know there's the card that tells me it needs to go or all the you know crap yeah. that comes through that way and I started to really lean into what it meant to have a relationship with God again. Because when I was young, my mom used to take us to church. And then when I kind of moved into my teen years, we got away from that after she uh, got divorced from my dad. But I started to reestablish that quite a bit. And I bought my first uh, copy of the Bible for the first time since I was a child. I remember when I was a little girl, I used to have a copy of the Bible floating around my room, like the little mini ones, maybe you remember. Mm-hmm. And I consciously ordered one and started diving into the word. And I started to go to church again and change the people I was spending time with, uh, not because there was anything particularly wrong with them, but because I was on a different path. I was on a different journey. And the people I was spending time with were affirming the old story. Mm. They still really loved the new age quite a bit. And it just wasn't a place that I was too, I was too fragile at the time. Right. Yeah. What do you think it was that led you into the new age? The control, I think just like this, you know, it's so alluring this dark allure of you can tap into your deep goddess, dark priestess energy, and you can summon this and you can do that. And you can, there was a part of it that just spoke to my rebellion. And in our relationship with God, that's one of our biggest battles is our rebellion against him. And the new age played into my rebellious heart. And, you know, I was, 24 when I started playing in the new age a little bit more and I didn't understand what my feminine wisdom and intuition really was as gifted from above and the new age wrapped it in a pretty little bow like it put it in a really pretty package with a really pretty bow on it and it made it very enticing and God was painted as this you know, um, all controlling, damning, you know, punishing father and who wants to be controlled by that. It's like, no, I don't believe in any of that. So he used to say, oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And, um, even though I don't believe, pardon me, religion is super healthy in lots of ways, my relationship with God and, uh, his kingdom and his principles and values are rightful. And that was really where it started to take off. I understood a lot of things and 
I was very grateful for the woman counsel that I found when I was starting that journey because it was very pivotal. Mm, like a, a women's council held by God as opposed to the new age world. Yeah. And it came, it came in a way that only God could deliver. <laughs> was it like one of those things where it's like, oh, this is so, yes. So God led. It was wild. I had gone to a new hairdresser and I was talking to my hairdresser at the time I was doing a lot of um, women's physical health. So nervous system, spinal work, uh, the fascia and all those things. And she was just telling me how sore she was from uh, working in stomach health. And we got into a conversation and I left, I was happy. And um, she asked me if anyone ever asked about exploring those, if I was okay with her giving out my phone number. And I said, yeah, sure. Didn't think anything of it. And two days later, I had a woman message me out of the blue and started asking me about these things. And so we went and we met for coffee and we didn't even talk about the original reason why she wanted to get in touch with me. We just started talking about our faith and she was, I would say 22 years, my senior mm -hmm. at the time and her husband had passed. And I remember I said to her, yeah, you know, God in the universe. And she looked at me very pointedly and said, why the universe? Why not just God? And it was such a sort of truth. And I was like, yeah, she's right. She was right. And I received it in that moment. And after that, I dropped any areas that I had edged him out. That's powerful. Any areas that you've edged him out while you were speaking, the hashtag um like f the patriarchy just like popped in my mind and that's so in the new age witch priestess world I mean I had that as one of my hashtags for years but it it was a complete or it is a complete edging out of this masculine figure as god and I think I'm still like you know sitting with that in myself because now I've left new age as well and I'm very much God as man like this leader um like a, a father figure when my pastor's wife when I was baptized she's like from priestess to daughter of the king and I was like oh like it just melts my heart when I hear those words like daughter of the king the highest king um but it what comes up for you and why there is that um you know, smash the patriarchy essence to new age and the goddess culture? I believe it's because women still have that distorted lens of what it really means to be under a loving father. Um, many of us have a broken relationship with our fathers, um, or even if we grew up in some sort of church hurt where the father was painted as someone who's, you know, going to punish you and guilt you and make you feel bad and cast you out should you not abide by certain things. And the patriarchy stands for having a loving father head, right? And if you don't have a good relationship with that, but you're seeking some sort of way to feel control you give it to yourself right well your 
father is not all that loving. Where's that loving father? Where is he when I need him? He abandoned me. He left me. He rejected me. Um, he's telling me to do things that I don't want to do. And I want to do it my way. And the priestess goddess type um, mentality allows them to self-source falsely that power when really they could just lean into the loving father and alter their relationship with him and their lens of him. And you said it really beautifully is when you're a daughter of the king, that's a completely different posture than being under some kind of detrimental rulership. Mm. Right. That's trying to harm you, hurt you or control you. Yeah. That falsely self-sourcing. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and what that means? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it's something that I say often and uh, the women in my field have a good laugh about it, but it's God is the source and, and everything else is a resource. And when you edge him out, the only source you have, you know, you try to find it all within yourself, but it's, it's not fillable from you. Like you can't self-generate that. It can only come from above. And so if you've cut off that coming from above, you're going to run on empty eventually, or you might get your temporary hit from feeling powerful, you know, with your readings or your priestesshood or your whatever it is that, that feeds you that day, whether or not it's making more money or having status or all of those things, but you can only self-source for so long before it's depleting and you run out of energy. And then eventually you're on your knees and surrender. Like I was in the bottom of your bath, of your shower, crying to the source himself, because you're trying to do a job that doesn't belong to you. Right. You're I love not that. Belonging. Yeah. Yeah, you're not designed to do God's job. That's his job. And if you think about his greatness and how limitless he is, that's not the design of our humanness. We're not able to do that. And furthermore, why would you want to? Like, I, I don't know about you, Lisa, but I personally don't want to take on God's job. <laughs> no, no, I think I'd make a pretty, pretty shitty yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a little bit heavy for me, um, you know, and, and I don't want to. Yeah. I think there's a few terms that come to mind that really kind of rub me the wrong way. Now I very much preached them a couple of years ago, but that kind of, um, it's all within you. You can like heal everything. I don't think I'm saying the phrase quite right, but it, it's basically like you are the source of your own healing. And when I got really sick, all I wanted to do was give it to somebody else, like God, that could take it from me. But I fought so hard that I was my own savior. That's the the phrase that I'm looking for. Like nobody else is going to save me. I'm going to save myself. And then when I was so sick, I was like, like somebody please take this from me. Like I can't save this one on yeah. my own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where how beautiful to give it to somebody else, God, um, Jesus, as opposed to being in battle on my own. 
Yeah. 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 Just the surrendering of it, right? Like he can do anything and we cannot do anything. And, and that's a humbling that a lot of humans don't like. And it's not to say that we aren't um, competent and capable and able to do amazing things, but there are things that we cannot do. And I am perfectly happy not doing them. I am perfectly happy saying, I have a father who loves me. I'm his daughter. And all I have to do is ask. If there's someone there who can do it for me, do it better, do it easier and wants to do it. Why would I want to do that myself? And, and I see it in the field where there are women who lean really far into that, where it becomes that like sort of entitlement, tantruming, daddy do it for me kind of thing where they're not self-governing women. Um, but there's a piece of us when it's healthy and it's embodied rightfully and we understand our relationship with him, that he's there loving you. If you can imagine it, even in a tangible man form, if your father was really present in your life, when you were a little girl, you got sick. He wasn't sitting there, you know, when you're four years old being like, oh, you take care of yourself, honey. Yeah. Right. That's not what a loving father did. And it's, he's always waiting. It's like, even, you know, in those moments when you were edging him out while you were in the new age world, he's still there. It's like, he's waiting, waiting for you to come home. And it was so profound because when I look back in hindsight, even when I was not talking to him, he was talking to me. We were still in a relationship. I just wasn't participating. And I can look back on all of my life and I can see him everywhere in it. Even in the moments where I was like, no, I'm not talking to you. No, I don't want anything to do with you. No, I don't believe in you. No, I think what you teach is, you know, your word is terrible and all the stories that I used to tell. He didn't care. It didn't matter. He was actually still there. And there were things that I would say like, oh, you know, I can't make this stuff up. The universe is so magical. <laughs> God is mm-hmm. pretty magical. <laughs> yeah. And so for you, because I think back to when I was in the new age world and crazy, crazy stories of even why I moved out to the Sunshine Coast, crazy story and all these like synchronicities and wild things happening. And now I'm, I sit with it. And I'm like, was that God all along? Or was it something else? Does anything come up for you around like, you know, when we're in the new age, like psychics and pulling tarot and all that kind of stuff, some things came true. Yeah. A lot of things didn't. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of things came, a lot of things came true for me as well. And, um, my relationship with God and the way I've learned the marriage between energetics and our wisdom as women and our intuition and our insight and how he speaks to us is, it is intertwined, but we have given it, uh, I don't know the right word here, but I believe that those times where it did come to fruition was very much him because I was tapping into 
the source, I just wasn't calling it by its actual name. And I wasn't giving him the glory that he deserved. And I wasn't giving him the recognition that he deserved. And I wasn't acknowledging the relationship that was truthful in that moment, but it didn't stop him from talking to me. Um, and I noticed that the new age likes to take a lot of teachings where they're like, oh, in manifestation, you have to visualize it and then feel it. And we feel God in our hearts. When he's speaking to us, we, we know, we feel it. And they don't call it by its rightful name. And all of the times that I had things come to fruition, it was because I was in tune with that feeling sense. I was in tune with that womanly wisdom and insight. And it had nothing to do with a tarot deck. Yeah. It's actually in scripture about act as if it is, and it will be manifestations mm -hmm. in the Bible. Yeah. And there's quite a few things that, um, you know, lap over for lack of better word, but that um, are quite similar from the Bible and what's in new age. What comes forward for you around that? You know, I've had a lot of women on my podcast say like, I am goddess. This was when I was still in, in the new age world. And I keep sitting with that, like every now and again, and I'm like, you know, that women will be like, I'm a goddess and I'm this. And I was like, I wonder if men were like, I'm God, you know, we'd all be like, no, you're not, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, so I'm just like, where does this whole idea that we're goddess comes from or come from? And I guess, is there some truth to it is what's coming up? Or is it just a, this divine feminine rising? Yeah, I I don't um, hold to we are goddesses. Um, and there's a very specific reason for that. And it's that I believe as soon as we do that, we're making ourselves out to be an idol. Mm. And uh, we all know what he speaks to around false idols. And more so, you know, my heart goes out to those women because it is a false identity. I believe that they're searching on a really deep level for feeling that connection and that power to that source. Um, and they haven't figured out how to really trust it, even if it's in their head, it's not in their heart. And so they've wrapped themselves in this false identity of being a goddess because in their mind, they've created a story around what that means. They're beautiful, they're powerful, they're, you know, enchanting, alluring, mysterious, um, all of those things, the feminine already is. If you get right down into your true inherent value, the feminine is already all of those things. You don't have to put on a, a goddess coat to declare it to the world, you just are. So I'm always uh, mindful when I'm speaking to women, when they have talked about, oh my goddess, I'm a priestess, I'm, you know, enchantress, I'm, I'm all of these things. And I really sit with the why they're declaring this about themselves. Because if you truly believe in your own embodied femininity from an inherent value standpoint, you don't need to declare it. It already emanates and radiates from you. Earlier, you spoke to using the word attitude very uh, <laughs> intentionally. 
as opposed to embodiment. Can you explain what the difference is between an attitude and an embodiment? (laughs) Well, there's a few different ways, but in that context specifically, my attitude was very loud. Mm. I was always talking very loudly about who I was. I'm strong. I'm independent. I make my own money. I do this. I do that. No one's going to mess with me. I'm, you know, I can play sports. I can run with the boys. I can do this. I, you know, it was, it was an attitude that I, it was very loud. And I'm always aware of women who, or people who are very loud about who they are. And it's different for men and women. Uh, but speaking solely to women and, and the feminine, the feminine doesn't need to do that because her energy is already loud enough. She can be felt before she ever opens her mouth. So if she's disconnected to her feeling body, then we tend to overcompensate with our mouth. And that's what I was doing. My my attitude um, was compensating for what I wasn't connected to in my heart. Mm. yeah that's a great explanation this really lands in almost like do you want to be heard or do you just want to be felt for who you are you know you don't have to be the loudest person in the room yeah and it just be seen yeah yeah and that embodiment is that knowing that you can just be exactly who you are and you don't have to um draw all the attention to you is that fair to say like it's yeah yeah you just yeah you don't have to shout it from rooftops like no the difference in what you're shouting versus what your heart is emanating your heart goes way further mm. it has more impact and more influence um, than anything that you could really scream from the rooftop. And it's not to say that the voice isn't powerful. It is, but if you're using it with the wrong energetic behind it, the wrong intention, uh, either consciously or subconsciously, people are just going to think you're loud and obnoxious. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When I was like that, I didn't have a lot of women friends because women couldn't relate to that. Yeah. So since you know, being on that journey of healing your relationship first with God and then with men, how would you say your interactions with men have changed? Like, was there a way that you kind of were before with men? And is there a way that you are now with men? Yeah, absolutely. I think it'd be impossible to do this work and not have that change. If it doesn't change, you're probably not doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) You're missing something. Yeah. You're missing the point. Um, yeah, with men, it was, uh, we hear the term in the feminine sphere, a lot of like leaning forward, but it was, I was in their space. I was stepping into their realm. So I paid a lot of the time. Um, I told them what I thought they should be doing a lot of the time. Um, And I would swing into tantrums where I was like, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And this is what I need from a man. If you can't do that, then you know what? I'll just find someone else. And it was always like onto the next, onto the next, onto the next. Um, 
And then when the relationships perhaps were more serious and, and more intimate, it was a lot of mothering. Mm. You know, I made the joke to my ex one time. I was like, can you even tell me the last time you bought your own underwear? And at the time it was funny, but now when I think about it, um, it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. I, I had stepped into being his mom and trying to be his lover and his partner and it didn't work. And I didn't respect him at all. And it showed because I began to resent him and them. There was a couple of instances where this happened that I would resent them because they were acting like five-year-olds, but really I was treating them like one as well. I wasn't giving any space for them to be men. I was carrying forward that old subconscious belief that men are just grown children and you have to do everything for them. And if you don't, well, nothing's going to get done. Mm. You can't trust them. You can't rely on them. And now it's such a, it's, we hear submission and it is, and people don't like the word. And to be honest with you, I don't care, but that's what it is. And it's a surrender and a permissive state. Like I understand my position and my role and it's not less than it's in complement to him now and it's so fulfilling because it's not a sacrifice to have every decision made in your best interest right whereas before i didn't trust anyone to make a decision in my best interest yeah if you know for women listening and they're in a dynamic where they're clearly mothering their husband or their man and that relationship is taking place what would you say would be a way for what could the woman do to shift so that the man responds to her differently I know this sounds so incredibly simple and basic because I mm -hmm. get this question a lot if any of your behaviors are the same behaviors that you would treat a child with towards your husband stop mm -hmm. just just stop and you can take the posture of asking him what do you need from me as a wife and this is going to have a lot of nuance because of course we don't know the state if they're inverted already he might list off all the things she's going to stop doing that might be the case um but i've had it given to me by my own partner one day we were at home being playful and I was like, oh, I did this and I did this and I did this. And he's like, yeah, but I don't need any of those things. I'm like, oh, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it really humbled me. And I was like, okay, what do you need? And he listed like three really basic things. And um, it goes against what we hear as women about what a wife is and what a wife does. He doesn't even want me to cook for him when I'm not, at, when he's not at home on the days that he works. He's like, don't cook for me. He works nights. He's like, don't bother cooking. Cause I can't have dinner with you when I get home, save it for when I'm home. And that was humbling for me because that basic task of cooking, which I love to do. He's like, yeah, but I don't need that when I'm working nights. So don't do it. <laughs> but that would be my advice to women is just, if you are doing the same things that you would for a child, stop. Mm -hmm. Hello, loves. Just a quick little interruption from the 
episode to chat about one of my favorite products that I am an affiliate for. And so as you all know, I have been on quite the healing journey this past year and there have been a few products that are game changers for me. So part of my health journey has been insomnia and I have been using taking pearl powder from Wild Holistics and I absolutely love Wild Holistics. I love their small batch, cozy feeling company that feels very nourishing and is very supportive and natural. And so I love the pearl powder as well as the liver protector. It is full of so much medicine for the liver, which we all know is under a lot of stress with the the stressors that we have in our life at this time, and as well as the elevated mind with the saffron. There is so much research and medicine that goes into that is in saffron and its healing effects on the mind as well as eyes. So definitely check out Wild Holistic. There's a link in the show notes for 10% off with discount code LISA. Back to the show. Yeah. And I can hear some women being like, well, if I stop like picking up all his laundry and doing his laundry, it just won't get done or stop picking up after him. It just won't get done. Anything come up for you around that? And that goes, that goes into the part of asking him what he needs from you as a wife. Those are, those are conversations that you really have to get into. Some of them become um, very personal. If a man is working 14 hours a day and you are at home if you guys have actually sat down and talked about some roles and things that he needs you to do and doing his laundry is one of them, that's different because that's a directive. That's something he's actually specifically asking you to do. But I was in a relationship once where the man said to me, he's like, I never asked you to do my laundry. He's like, don't do it. I'll do it myself. Mm. Okay. (laughs) You know, um, that was a long time ago, but I remember it um, in hindsight because that was weird to me because at the time I was in that, you know, we do everything for the man mentality. Um, so if those are conversations that are happening, really ask him, like, what do you need from me? He might not need or want you to get up in the morning before him, make his coffee, make his breakfast, make his lunch. He might just be like, no, I want you to sleep and not worry about it. Mm -hmm. some women will be flabbergasted by that yeah from your experience what would you say are the main things that men need from women (laughs) are we talking tangible things (laughs) it could be but I mean what comes to mind for me they're not really tangible they're more yeah. yeah the honestly to be his confidant when he needs one Mm his counsel when he asks for it and respect. And, you know, women are probably going to get their back up a little bit about this, but also sex. Men feel love through sex. uh, And I know that women are very different. We need to be emotionally connected to be able to have sex. And that's just one of those funny little things that God has in his, uh, plan that we don't fully understand as humans, but it is true. And 
when you start leaning into those things, it gets easier. Mm, Yeah. It's like understanding men and understanding how they work. I think when I was in the new age world, there was this dialogue that men were very similar to women. (laughs) I actually watched, watched a documentary and it was about men and it was talking about how similar they are to women. It was called the mask we live in or something along those lines. Um, But the more that I dug into like Alison Armstrong's work and some other people, they're so completely different than us. Entirely. Yes. And when I started understanding that, I realized I was trying to make them like me. Yeah. Because it feels more palatable to us, right? When a man uses feminine languaging oh we think we like it we do because it creates a connection that we're probably longing for that we haven't found in a different way with a man but when a man uses feminine languaging then we actually understand him Um, it emasculates him but we like it because women love to talk we're very detail oriented you know you and i can have this conversation for an hour and a half lisa we'll walk away and we'll both remember a lot of the details whereas a man will pick out like one thing two things and that's how linear they are because they're extracting data every time we talk so if their communication is pointed and short and curt and we're there all up in our feels and the details and all the things and trying to validate all this and the stories they're just trying to extract data from what we're saying looking for a problem to fix Mm. or give us a solution like they're constantly analyzing what we're saying and then there's communication breakdowns I see this all the time with women who send really long paragraphs in text Mm -hmm. messages and then a man replies with one or two lines and they get angry and they're like out of all that, that's what you took away from it. You know, we get all huffy. I know I've done it. Almost mm-hmm. every who's done it. It's because he's only been able to extract certain parts of information. He's trying to isolate the problem or the point. Mm. And he can't because we're not being clear. We're communicating with him like he's a woman. And this is some of the problems that I witness um, in, in therapy, in marriage counseling. And I'm not against therapy for the record. I just think that in certain circumstances, when you're trying to bridge a communication gap, a lot of therapy brings men down into the feeling body and women up into the mind. And it creates at the very minimum, an androgynous relationship. And the men that I have spoken to the husbands of my clients, they say that every time they go into therapy with their wife, they feel like the counselor is trying to make them a woman. And they end up hating it and resenting it. And they don't want to go because they don't want to be a woman. It it goes against their instincts. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any books that come to mind that you would recommend for women that are wanting to um, shift into their feminine essence? I know there's a lot of women around me that are just starting to realize like, I've been mothering my husband this whole time. I'm always in my masculine. Like they haven't realized or they're just realizing like, oh, I'm not actually being the feminine in this dynamic. Yeah, um, there are a few. 
I, I, and you spoke to Alison Armstrong's work. I think the Queen's Code is a really great book just to help um, illuminate the story of what can be playing out in our homes. The Surrendered Wife is also a good one that I particularly enjoy and has some good key points. In the spring, I will have my own for all of you that will be coming out as well that we'll be talking about all the stuff that I have here um in the meantime I only have a chapter in a multi-author that touches on this and speaks to our relationship with God and the masculine as well but those are two that I find particularly insightful just for illuminating where we might be showing up this way in our relationships and our marriages you want to speak to your book a little bit more do you have a name <laughs> for it all that kind of stuff um the title, well, there's two of them coming out, if I'm being honest. Um, one of them is a collection of testimonies of women who have done the femininity work and fully restored it within themselves, their marriage, and with God. And that'll be a collective um, type book where I've got multiple women sharing their stories. Mm. And that will be out somewhere around June, I hope. And then the next one... Um, will be speaking to all of the principles and the teachings that I have. So feminine communication and relational communication and what submission really is and what dominance really is and how it relates to our relationship with God and how to posture ourselves in our marriage in a way that feels rightful for us and our husbands and men. Uh, it will also speak to an aspect of being in courtship if you are presently single and how to anchor into your values and principles as a woman so you can actually end up in a marriage that lasts and becomes a union instead of just kind of that marriage that's androgynous and you plod through life together and you always kind of feel like something could be better or different mm. so we're gonna, it's going to speak to all of that the name has to be determined <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of like the last thing, isn't it? That I have them. They're like floating around. I'm like, is it women of the kingdom? Am I going to title it the same as the business? Um, you know, there's, it's going to be kingdom something and women and femininity, but I haven't quite kind of zeroed in on it yet. I love the kingdom aspect. Yeah. And it. it's very powerful. What comes up for you around communication in a marriage or just with a man that is productive as opposed to that opens him up as opposed to shuts him down this is my jam <laughs> <laughs> um when you're speaking to a man if you're trying to speak to him like he's a woman it's not going to work period um and the comprehension that men are linear and singular focused. So when you are sharing yourself with him, one of my principal foundational teachings is three sentences or less. And women are like, oh, what? What if I have more to say? I'm like, it, what it does, it requires you to get very clear on what you're sharing. You're not getting lost in the details. You're not getting caught up in a story. You're not adding a whole bunch of things that he has to sift through. 
You're getting very clear on what it is that you're sharing with him and why. And of course, there's going to be dialogue, but if you can really hold yourself to the frame of share it in three sentences or less blocks and let it dialogue, you're going to have a far more productive and connective conversation. So if you're communicating with someone and you don't feel more connected to them by the time that conversation is over, then you're actually likely going to feel even further apart than before you started the conversation. And then you end up feeling resentful and hurt and we have silent arguments and goes on for two days and everyone's mad until eventually one of you throws in the towel and there's still no resolution or you have the same fight for the next seven years. Um, and really it's zeroing in on what is the truth? Like, what is the truth of what you're saying? And when I get women to really hone in on like, what are you trying to say? I just feel sad. Well, then just tell him you feel sad. Mm -hmm. oh, but he did all of these things. I'm like, he'll ask about the things if it really matters, but the impact of his behavior or the circumstance is that you feel a certain way and it's really simple. So when you say things like, well, I just feel like you, that's not a feeling. <laughs> that's not a feeling. That is a thought, a judgment or blame wrapped in a feeling blanket. That's not a feeling. So we can get really clear. Can you give me an example? I'm still like thinking about like, I just feel like, so that would be a judgment, criticism, blame. Or also, thought. Or thought where it would be like, you always do such and such, that's blame, criticism, judgment. What would be the not blame, criticism, judgment to that? Yeah, so when we say, well, I just feel like you, that is a very outward penetrative statement, right? We're looking at them. So when we say, I feel, first of all, it's, not the truth because that's not how you feel that's what you think mm, mm -hmm. when we redirect the energy to go inward where it's like I just I you know I, I feel a lot of overwhelm when this happens that's different it's saying the impact of the external is inward to my heart toward this is how it's impacting me this is how it's affecting me and that doesn't even necessarily mean that the man did something intentionally wrong or that he was trying to be hurtful. It was just drawing awareness to, hey, this happened and this is what I'm feeling. Mm. But as soon as you start going, well, you just do this or I feel like you don't care about me. That's one that I've heard before a lot of. I just feel like you don't care about me. The actual posture is I feel insignificant to you mm. I feel insignificant that's the actual truth of a woman's heart when she's saying I feel like you don't care about me first of all you're telling him how he feels and we know how women feel when uh we're told how we're feeling yeah. mm -hmm. men are not different yeah so we're judging and we're projecting something onto him that's not even necessarily true which is why men get defensive of course I care about you what are you talking about well, I feel insignificant. And he might ask you then why 
well, you know, we went out to that dinner party and you didn't introduce me to anyone. And I was sitting in the back room all by myself all night. Mm. And he was, he might be like, I had no idea. I just thought you wanted to be by yourself. I thought you weren't having a good time. I thought you weren't interested in going to my work thing. And then all of a sudden you realize that he wasn't trying to ignore you or make you not important or any of those things. It was just that he had a completely different perception of what was going on in that situation. Mm. So it opens the door for connection. Yeah. And communication, open communication. That's not slamming each other. Yeah. Down. Yeah. It's not a tennis match anymore. No, it feels like that. You're not in competition anymore. It's like we're co-creating. It's a collaboration Yeah, that's happening courtship what is courtship how does how is courtship different from <laughs> I wanted to say hookup culture because we spoke <laughs> about that earlier but you know as for single women courting mm-hmm. is very different than dating is that is. fair to say yes absolutely it's different um and I as a 41 year old woman did the dating world for a very long time And I'm sure, you know, women who are currently single or between relationships um, are kind of exhausted by it, right? You hear a lot about, I don't like dating apps. I don't like being out there, going on another date. Oh gosh. And the reason why is because most of us in the dating world, we have a checklist in our head. Some of them... You are, you know, as we get older, I think they change, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know, oh, well, he has to make more than six figures and he has to be tall and dark and handsome and not live in his mother's basement. And, you know, the list can be very extensive. Uh, But what that doesn't speak to is a woman's embodied value system. So when we're dating, a lot of the time we tend to bond over our, our interests first and then hope we can kind of make our values match Mm -hmm. and we're not even vetting the men and allowing ourselves to be vetted as well and a lot of women like to take that stance that they don't need to be vetted but they do and instead of knowing who they are and what they value for marriage children faith right even the lifestyle you have If you're the kind of woman who wants to have a homestead and he wants to live in a condo in the city, guess what, right? If he's agnostic and you're very religious and that's a problem for you, guess what? He might be all of the wonderful things, but that relationship, the fundamental values are not in alignment. It's not a good fit. It's not a union that will be harmonized for the rest of your life. Because when it comes to raising children, then what happens? And when we're in a position of courtship, we know what our values are. And this can be, you know, I really desire a faith-based relationship where we both go to church on the weekends. We're very anchored into our faith and we both want to have a family and we both want to have, you know, I want to have a homestead and I want to be able to be a stay-at-home mom whatever it is that you really value for your life. And when that becomes what you truly want, not just 
performative, not just something you're telling yourself that looks nice. When you start meeting men, you're in the posture of, well, there's all these men who feel kind of this desire. Oh, they want a homestead. Oh yes, they want children. Oh yeah, they're very faith-based. They come from a good family, whatever it is. And now you have a plethora of amazing men who are going to show up authentically as they are. And you get to decide which one is the best fit for you in alignment, but without making judgments about them. Where it's like, these men are all amazing. And if you want to take a very literal metaphorical stance from this, it's if you remember when a princess was ready for marriage, all of the princes and kings from all over the world would show up. They were all amazing royalty. But the one that was chosen was based on, is this a good ally? Is he wealthy? Is he going to be able to protect her, provide her? Does she like him? Sometimes it didn't matter, but you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you think of that posture, they were all amazing suitors. And she got to choose which one was best in alignment for her legacy that she wishes to leave. And it's different than just jumping onto, um, you know, Hinge or Bumble and going through a mess, trying to figure out if this guy might fit into some sort of an idea that you have for your future. Oh yeah, he's good. I'll see where it goes. Oh yeah, he's all right. He's fun. I'll see what he's about. Oh yeah, let's see if these things are in alignment. Let's see if he checks my boxes. It doesn't work and you get tired. Mm -hmm. Where would you say that women that are single and, you know, wanting to be courted, where do you meet these men? Is it still online? This is an answer that's going to outrage the public listening to this. (laughs) Stop looking. Mm -hmm. Stop looking. Um, When you are in your true feminine embodiment, you are absolutely magnetic. The men who are in that field and attuned to that energy, they will find you. So you don't have to work for it the way you think you do. And I assure you that when you're ready, God will deliver that man to your doorstep. And that's not to say you sit on your couch eating popcorn and chips and like not going anywhere and doing anything. But um, my own partner was literally delivered to my doorstep. Like, like no joke. Um, And I didn't see it coming and I didn't plan it. And um, how was he delivered to your doorstep? Literally my doorstep. (laughs) (laughs) I was traveling I was traveling and I rented an Airbnb and it was very last minute and the availability was very short and I chose a shared accommodation because that was all that was available and I thought it was just myself and one other woman sharing this accommodation but it turned out that she had two others there and he was one of them wow he was one of them yeah. So literally delivered uh, to my doorstep and That's really cool. within a month of meeting, he uh, moved us in together and took over all provision and did all the things. And 
you know, it's, it's easy, but it's not the first story I've heard. I have many friends who can tell you that their partners like showed up out of nowhere unexpectedly. They were just in their life, loving their life. You know, they met him at dance class. They met him um, at a baseball game. They were just out being themselves and he came into their field. Yeah. I love that story. I love stories like that when things just like randomly happen and come out of nowhere and you, there was no forcing. I think that's like when you think about being fully in your feminine body, the feminine, you're not forcing, you're not trying to control, you're not coming up with all the hows and the whys and all of that kind of stuff. You're just being with what is. Yeah. And you're invited into it. Um, You have to be willing to say yes over and over and over again. You know, I didn't have to say yes when he invited me out. Mm. I didn't have to say yes the second time. I, I didn't have to kiss him back when he decided he was going to try to kiss me. And, and so you you still have to say yes. So if you've come into a position and posture in your life where you've gotten very clear on your values and who you are and what you desire for your future... And all of a sudden your great aunt is like, I have a boy I want you to meet. Say yes, just Mm. say yes. And you still get to choose. You still get to vet him. You still get to decide, oh, great aunt Susie, you know, well-intentioned, but you know, not quite. Uh, But you, you, so that's the invitation to say yes, but you don't have to go chasing it down. Mm. It's remaining open, right? That receiving of like, I'm going to say yes to allowing different types of men to appear in my field. And I get to say yes or no to them. But the field is open. Yeah. I like that. And it's like, you, you have to say yes, which means you can't shut everything down before it's even a possibility as well, which I think a lot of women out of that, like distrust for men or, um, yeah, maybe it's childhood trauma from their fathers, whatever it might be, men not showing up will shut them down before they've even given them a chance Yeah, to come Absolutely. in. Yeah. yeah. If we're not ready for the kind of love we say we want, it, mm. it just won't be able to come into our field. And that's something I see a lot of women are begging for their men to be masculine, um, but they're not willing to descend into the feminine pole and two of the same energetic cannot occupy the same space. Right. So if you're over-functioning from a masculine posture, he can't be in that space. You're, you're, you're doing his job. Mm. Um, So if you say that you're in the dating world or you're in courtship and you want to date a masculine man, that you have to be willing to be a feminine woman, the feminine woman that you already are, but you have to go into that remembrance. Are there any practices that you would suggest that bring women into their feminine? Practices? Well, you just took like a deep breath mm-hmm. <laughs> and I felt that that kind of like dropped everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. The, the art of femininity, it's, it's a remembrance. Mm. It's not something that 
and I'm very mindful about this posture when I'm speaking to women, you, if you were born a woman, you are feminine, period. Now, maybe you have put on some armor from that. Maybe you've gone from down here when you were a little girl to up here, but it is a remembrance. And all you've got to do is kind of chip away at working yourself back down and getting into your feeling body and restoring that natural essence as the way that you show up in the world all the time. So we're used to showing up a certain way, kind of getting used to being in that feminine space can feel uncomfortable and weird and clunky and sticky at first. You're like, I don't know how to do this, <laughs> but it's really just remembering the way you naturally are. And it's going to show up really differently for every woman. But the, the heart and soul of it is your feeling body and being in truth. And my personal uh, frame that I use to hold myself accountable to that all the time is what is the truth here and am I being in truth here mm. and that holds me very firmly because if it's am I in truth here when I've got a story going and my mind is going off on a tangent or telling me something about a situation my fear my worry um, all the things I need to do it's like well what's truthful here what's truthful do I, do I really need to be doing all the things I'm telling myself that I'm doing right now? Do I, is that story real? Mm. And all of a sudden my body just goes down. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not true. No, that's not really truthful. No, I don't really like that. <laughs> yeah. It's my own personal practice. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, some, like basic things like somatics and, working with a coach or a mentor, if this is new to you, um, being in your body as often as you can, resting more. Uh, but when you have to go into full restoration, sometimes it can take a while. Yeah, mm -hmm. and support is helpful. Yeah, yeah, definitely is. What's been your biggest lesson along the way? Um, it speaks to what uh, we spoke to earlier about God being the source and everything else is the resource. That's true humility to me because there is a source and we're not it. As soon as you can admit that there's a source and you're not it, you're humbled. Mm. And, and that's been my biggest and most powerful lesson that I've learned is I'm not the source. That's not my job. Yeah. Yeah. Takes a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, but almost like, you know, holding yourself up to be one of those false idols, like it takes a lot of pressure off. It does. Yeah. yeah. It just really, it's relieving. You're just like, I don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else on your heart that you want to add love before we close any, any offerings that you want to share any, the work that you do with humans? Yeah, I, I do have a mastermind container that's starting at the end of the month. It's called Muse. It's very much for um, married or partnered women to learn feminine communication, the kingdom template. So 
queen and king and what that really means in a marriage, the posturing of that, um, and also writing and sharing testimonies. So there's an aspect to it where you can choose to verbalize and publish your personal testimony. You can be anonymous if you want to or not, but that's coming up at the end of the month and it runs for six months. And I actually have also created a space for young women or single women who are wanting to do courtship posturing. And that's also for six months, but it's only every second Friday and it starts December 1st. So I have two spaces going right now. And then if you're interested in the book, let me know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Everything will be in the, the show notes where everybody yeah. can reach out to you and yeah, just experience your work and your wisdom and your magic. So thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so good. I've loved being here. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. Please like, share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.